0: from the partnership for public service this is profiles in public service a podcast that tells the stories of the public servants responsible for our government's most significant achievements profiles in public service was created by the partnership for public service
1: be the first to hear new episodes of profiles in public service by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and if you like the show, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Lauren DeYoung Schulman, And I'm Rachel Klein-Kircher. For someone who doesn't work in the federal government, Lisa Rhine knows more about the people who
0: work there than just about anyone else. A
1: longtime reporter
0: at the Washington Post, Lisa covers federal agencies and the management of government. This year, she's written about the federal government adopting more expansive work-from-home policies after COVID-19. How some political appointees nominated by President Trump have become civil servants still working in government through a process called burrowing, why agencies are seeking to fill thousands of vacant jobs under the Biden administration's proposed budget, and so much more.
1: She's here today to tell us more about her work reporting on government from the perspective of its employees. Lisa, welcome to Profiles in Public Service. So
0: Lisa, you are probably the only journalist whose official bio includes arcane civil service provisions as a topic that you cover, which fascinates me. How does someone get on the arcane civil service provision beat?
2: <laughs> well, I think I, I would describe myself as covering the entire executive branch, um, uh, which is actually not really covered by a lot of people in Washington because many reporters cover large federal agencies that are in the news a lot, uh, like the State Department, the Defense Department, um, you know, the Interior Department, the EPA, um, but there really isn't anyone who covers the whole federal government for a mainstream publication. I guess I would say the trades do a terrific job. Um, but in terms of a publication with more general readership, um, I think that I try to cover, you know, t- subjects and policies that affect all federal agencies. Although I do, do dive into some agencies, like I do a lot of coverage of Department of Veterans Affairs. I just wrote last week uh, about the Social Security Administration and uh, President Biden's firing of the Trump-appointed holdover who was running that agency. But what I meant was that I do write a lot about the civil service and There's a lot about how the civil service works. And there are, as your listeners know, about 2.1 million civil servants in the federal government. And so I write a lot about how, um, you know, political appointees interact with civil servants. And in a broad sense, you know, how President Trump addressed and dealt with the civil service and now how President Biden is trying to change the approach to the civil service. So to answer your question more directly, arcane provisions, I guess, just means, you know, the laws and regulations of how, um, you know, civil servants sort of function in their their jobs.
0: So we at the partnership... F- Spent a lot of time elevating and highlighting and cheerleading members of the civil service and offering them advice on how we can improve government effectiveness and improve talent pipelines. But I'm curious, from your perspective as a journalist, why is it important to illuminate these behind-the-scenes civil servants, but also the, the laws and regulations that um, underwrite so much of the work that they do?
2: Well, I think it you know the focus on the bureaucracy that runs the government does change a little bit. I think you know with each uh, administration in Washington. I think first of all it's important because many Americans and people also across the world, you know, they think of the federal government as this big bureaucracy. That, but they don't. They don't really understand. You know who the people are. Who who make the government, help the government function day to day. And especially under Trump, um, the, the, the government got very politicized um, because his administration had a particular view of the bureaucracy, which was we need to make it smaller. We don't, you know, we feel it has too much power in, in decision making. We want to restrict its its powers and we want political appointees to have a stronger role, uh, in how it, it functions. And so, um, I think it's so important though, because, you know, this is, these are the people who really make the government, uh, operate every day. I mean, You've got, I'm out here for the summer in Montana. You've got, you know, the forest service, the firefighters in the forest service who are handling the massive wildfires that we're seeing in the West this year, which is resulting in in record-setting heat. Uh, you've got, you know, park rangers who are dealing with a a, a really, I think, potentially record, record-setting number of visitors to national parks. You know, these are people emerging from the pandemic who want to see the parks because they feel it's a safe place to go. Um, And, you know, you've got the people running the Social Security Administration who are, uh, you know, dealing with uh, how to how to sort of safely go back to work so that they can serve the the most, um, you know, low income Americans who who are applying for disability benefits who weren't able to apply because the field offices. Were closed, and they really need to do their work, um, you know, in with face-to-face contact with with um, with potential applicants. So, yeah, I think it's sort of um, the thing about government employees is that no one really understands who they are and what they do, and that's why I think they're so important to highlight.
1: So, following this thread, Lisa, you know, saying people are seeing big bureaucracy and, you know, the general public doesn't really know who are these people and what do they do. How did you become familiar with the federal workforce? And, you know, when did you start covering federal agencies? What got you interested? And and did you know a lot of this beforehand or is a, a lot of learning as you go? So it's been a
2: lot of learning as I go. I think I've been covering the government for about 10 years, believe it or not. And I started uh, in, at the Post covering local governments in Northern Virginia, in Prince William County, then Fairfax County. And then I covered the state legislatures in Annapolis, Maryland, and Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and that was a great beat. And then I covered uh The district I covered real estate development in the district when DC was just taking off, and then a job opened um, on our national staff covering. It was called the Fed (laughs) beat, and we had a page. This was, you know, in the pre-internet era, you know, when uh, the print paper was was really a vital part of our coverage in the DC area. We had a a page that ran inside the A section five days a week called the Fed page, and it was about. Um, kind of goings on in the government, but it was very much focused on the federal workforce. And so originally, the beat was indeed focused on the workforce and personnel issues and personnel changes. And then I really saw that, you know, that was a great um, opportunity. But what I was able to do because it interested me more and, you know, it interested my editors more, we really expanded the coverage to include not just the civil servants who, you know, work in government, but, um, but the whole government, federal agencies, you know, polit- government policies, um, politics, you know, uh, there's just so much more than the federal w- workforce. There's also just, you know, what every executive branch and, and president does um, in, in, you know, to, to make the government run. And I think that we felt that that was an area that really, really wasn't covered. So um, it, it, you know, because most of our, uh, I mean, we have as as I think your readers know, the post really excels at covering federal politics, but that we were missing a whole part of coverage that focused on you know federal agencies, and that's what the president comes in to do. You know, is is run the government, and the government wasn't really being covered in as full, the fullest way that, you know, that it could. So um, obviously, you know, there were so many agencies that our, our, our reporters do cover, but there were so many that weren't being covered. Um, the big ones were covered, but there were many big ones, you know, and medium-sized ones and smaller ones from the IRS to, um, you know, the interior department uh, that really weren't being covered. So I, so I just sort of started and veterans affairs wasn't being covered. And I, I, that's an amazing agency. It's the second largest agency in the federal government. So, yeah. So I just expanded it myself really to, to just focus on wow. government.
1: And, and what was surprising for you with this, you know, shifting from local and state into this vast federal enterprise? What, what have you learned? That's just so surprising. Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: Well, I do want to say that I still do cover federal federal employees. Um, you know, I cover the civil service, but I think as well, you know, it's just a very, um, it's kind of a, a large beat where, you know, I kind of dive in where I think there are sort of fires to be put out or interesting things, you know, to cover. Um, well, I think what I learned is um, that, wow, the government does so much, Um and it's so it's so incredibly interesting. I, I think what I've sort of I've learned in ten years is just how how much money is spent <laughs> every day to run the government, uh, how many people actually do run it, how smart people are in the government, how much responsibility they have over vast operations that ordinary Americans, you know, have no idea about. Um, And, you know, I mean, it's both, um, it's both at this, you know, interfacing with local governments, with state governments, with governors. uh, And also, of course, with, with, you know, abroad. I mean, we have such a huge footprint um, abroad. And I've also learned about, you know, the oversight function of government, which really is obviously, you know, that's the role that inspectors general play. I mean, it's just it's it's never endingly interesting. And so it's not a beat that I particularly want to to leave. It's one of these beats like, you know, a national security beat. You know, I have colleagues who cover uh, you know, intelligence agencies. I have co- again, colleagues, you know, who cover everything having to do with national security, um, who cover the CIA, cover the FBI. Um, and you know, this is, this is not a beat that you sort of do for a couple of years, in my view, and then leave. It, it's a beat that I'm always learning about. So I sort of feel like it's a, a specialty, just like, you know, a lot of specialties that, that my colleagues have and cover for, you know, 10 or 20 years, right? I have a colleague, Karen DeYoung, you know, who's covered foreign policy for 20 years, and and I feel like my role covering the federal government is exactly like hers and like that of other, other colleagues.
0: So with this tremendous breadth of work that you've covered over the last several years, do you have any favorite stories that you've worked on, whether from the people that you've met or the impact that it's had? What, what are some of the favorites that you've taken away?
2: Right. Wow. Um. Well, you know, during, I would say that during the Trump era, I had you know, a a run of coverage that was really focused on the political appointees who were in place and the civil servants and how they, how they interacted. Um, so yeah, from that. And then I have a lot of VA stories that I love doing. So I'll talk about those too. So one of my favorite stories (laughs) was really, um, it was not a story that took me a long time to report, but it was actually about Trump's um, first interior secretary, Ryan Zinke. <laughs> and so this is not actually a story about, about civil servants, but it's just about the government and how Ryan Zinke, um, when he was in the office in, in downtown Washington at his interior headquarters, he uh, he demanded that the, these career civil servants, I think it was a security, there were security people, but that they hoist a flag uh, every day that he was in the office to, <laughs> to, you know, it wasn't an American flag, but it was an interior department flag that, you know, no one knows about, but they actually have these flags that uh, for each cabinet member to sort of I mean, it's a nice symbolic gesture that, oh, you know, they have a flag. And the state the head of the State Department has the Secretary of State has a flag that says, okay, this is I'm the Secretary of State. Anyway, so Zinke wanted this flag hoisted on the top of the headquarters at the Interior Department to, to show that he was in the building. It was kind of like, I don't know, it was sort of like a, a an option that military officers have, but I think many of them don't really use. But it was just so funny. So this civilian guy And uh, I mean, Ziki had been a Navy SEAL, but anyway, he. So I did a story about this, and you know, it was really widely read because it was kind of a symbol of the oddity of this very, very arcane um you know, sort of ritual that um he was bringing back to the government I no one could ever remember this having been been done before and then when he left the building you know some poor security person had to go up to the top climb to the top of the building and and like bring the flag down. so that was just a hilarious story that to me was very emblematic of the Trump administration and how you know how different they were and um you know, their view of, of their role running the government. So that was really a, a really fun story um, and a crazy story. And I had so much fun with it. And then, you know, another story that I read during the Trump era and the end of, I'm uh, sorry that I wrote in the end of the Trump era with some colleagues was about how Trump had, change the federal government, and uh, we did a series of stories about in that ran, I think, in November and December of 2020, last year, uh, before the election, and it was about, um, you know how, right? How Trump changed the norms of the government, and my our story was about uh, how he changed the civil service, and it was about really the stuff we've been talking about, you know how um, he he really had a different view of federal employees and how um, he really did make life very challenging for them uh, because he didn't, feel that they were kind of on the same level as the political appointees who were running the agency. So, um, you know, it was sort of kind of about, for some people, how he kind of broke the civil service. And for other people who believed in, you know, his philosophy, it was how he reigned in the civil service in what the Trump appointees felt was a really a positive development in in reigning, reigning in what, what they considered a bureaucracy that had too much power. So I, I really felt that story was, was a story that needed to be told. And then at uh, veterans affairs, um, I've, you know, I recently did a story, um, about vaccine hesitancy at VA. And I, just a couple of months ago, this was, and I went out to Spokane, Washington. Um, and I, I went with a team of VA, a medical team, uh, to Idaho and Montana and Washington state, um, just roaming around and, you know, going to small towns where they were trying to, um, VA was trying to, you know, in, get people to, to agree to be vaccinated. That was fascinating. And then more recent VA stories, Um, You know, I wrote a a lot of stories about a serial killer in West Virginia at a VA hospital there who's now been sentenced, but that was a really... Sad, sad story. She was injecting um, elderly veterans with insulin. It was really tragic, but it also showed how, um, you know, at these hospitals, some of them, there's a really decentralized system at VA and a lot of these hospitals are just, you know, had very, very little oversight. Um, And so this woman was just, you know, not caught for almost a year. And that was really, really tragic and pointed up, you know, serious you know shortcomings and and how the VA hospital in in West Virginia was run, and a similar story that showed very deep shortcomings in that system was about a pathologist in Fayetteville, Arkansas, at the VA there, and how you know he was uh, he was you know drunk and he was on drugs and he he was misreading slides and he his his misdiagnoses ended up killing people and and hurting you know thousands of people with cancer and other ailments.
0: Lisa, the incredible breadth of these stories speaks to a theme that we've talked about several times in this podcast is that, you know, the the federal government is a huge apparatus. Um, People who want to serve in it can do almost any possible job as found within the federal government towards many different kinds of missions and serving the public and serving public trust. Um, So, I mean, you're, you are have no lack of stories to possibly be able to tell. Um, But one thing you Commented on. I just wanted to note uh, the story, the series that you did around the changes that the Trump administration wrought in the federal government. I think people think of the civil service and the federal bureaucracy as this large, kind of immovable apparatus that is going to be pretty steady and similar from administration to administration. And there's a lot of truth in that, but it's a, a huge benefit and tool that presidents are handed at the beginning of their administration that they really do have a lot of influence over. Um, whether through policy or just through habit and norms. And that was one of the big things I took away from that series is like the number of things that President Trump did not only in the policies that he set, but just in how he utilized and treated the civil service, I think will be um, resident in government for a while in the absence of, uh, uh, you know, a pushback or reforms beyond that. Um, But Rachel, you actually wanted, I think you wanted to ask a question about the uh, one of the points I just made.
1: Yeah, I mean, Lisa, given the breadth of stories that you are covering, and how much is happening right now between the pandemic, uh, economic crisis, federal employees, and, you know, really talking about what is this shift from remote work back to the workplace, potentially, what does all that look like? Like, there's just no shortage of things to cover. So for you what is the most important trend or story happening right now in federal agencies?
2: You're right that there is so much to cover and it's really hard to to decide okay what story should I do because it's it, there are so many fascinating things going on. You know, if I write a story about VA, for example, I always hear from veterans who are struggling to, you know, work through the bureaucracy to get their their benefits approved and you know there're just um so many people who have trouble you know so many ordinary Americans who have trouble interacting with the government um and and the bureaucracy and get stuck and want me to write their stories but it's very challenging i think so there's a big theme now with president biden he's he's trying to i mean he has pledged to really uh remake the government and kind of rebuild after what happened under trump and under trump what happened really broadly was There, there were a number of agencies that whose whose budgets really increased and where hiring really grew uh, under that administration. The Defense Department, the Department of Homeland Security, and Veterans Affairs all had you know surges in their budgets and their hiring. Then a lot of the other domestic agencies um, had had big cuts uh, that Trump had proposed. That Congress, you know, was able to stanch a little bit, but there were still cuts and a lot of. a lot of exodus of people from those jobs. So, But what Biden has said is, I'm going to rebuild. Now, that's actually much harder to do than you would think. So um, he certainly has tried to rebuild the morale of of the workforce. And that's um, a message coming back from agency heads that we've written about um, a bit. But I sort of want to go kind of beyond that. And right now it's tricky because I think that, um, you know, Biden has not quite, he hasn't had it, the people who are going to be responsible for the rebuilding completely in place. There's now an office of personnel director, uh, Kieran Ahuja, who just was confirmed by the Senate a few weeks ago. Uh, there is still no one, uh, leading the office of management and budget, which is tricky because they usually lead, um, on, on policies affecting the workforce. So that, that effort, I think, has been slowed. But, you know, there will, there is a lot of hiring that, that, I think every agency. Well, I so the, the budget is beginning to really move quickly through Congress now. There's going to be a lot of hiring, uh, but what's tricky about that effort is it's very well-meaning. But you know, as um, as Max Dyer has said many times in many stories I've written, the hiring. Uh, process in the government, and this is really not a part a partisan issue, but it is really broken. It is it just takes too long to hire people, and Congress really has moved very very slowly to enact you know reforms that are I think really important. I think it's just not a sexy issue. If you're a member of Congress, you don't really get reelected on saying, "Well, I improved the federal hiring process." So that's a problem that has bedeviled. You know Obama, you know George Bush, Trump, you know, um, and is is you know bedeviling Biden. So I think, you know, what a lot of people, reformers in government, feel is that we need to make it easier to hire people. We need to make it easier for um, hard to fill jobs like you know high level auditors at the IRS, you know, to 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 get hired really quickly. That is just not happening. So, so it's just, I think Biden is well intentioned, but he's kind of coming up against the institutional, uh, problems with how to. You know, just get the right people into the government, and as Max always talks about, they're young there's a short, a real dearth of young people who want to come into government, and you know this generation of young people wants to jump around. Uh, they they want to work in the private sector and nonprofits. They don't want to spend their career in government. That's a whole. You know these are large, big, big sort of stories. So they're slow moving stories. I think for me, Um, so I I dip in on them, but then I kind of I think move to you know move around to other to other stories. Um, We've got so VA is really fascinating because you know Secretary McDonough has inherited. Now a lot of a lot of issues there. There's a big um electro you know, big modernization of health records issue there, which sounds kind of wonky, but actually is a real um transformation of how VA serves veterans. And that's that's certainly going to be um, you know, a really big issue. Um so I guess the big story now in government is how does government rebuild? That's that's I think the big the big story. And uh, how do inspectors general, you know, rebuild their oversight functions after they were very, you know, politicized in, in the Trump era. But, you know, there are also Trump appointees who are still scattered throughout the government. You know, we had, we rat, wrote last week about the Social Security Administrator, who was a Trump holder getting fired. But there are lots of appointees who are, you know, legally authorized to be there, uh, but who are still, uh, kind of, you know, in, putting their Trump imprint on various boards and commissions like the EEOC, Equal Opportunity Employment, uh, Opp- Employment Commission, um, you know, various, uh, you know, the federal, um, FERC, the, um, uh, electrical, the energy, uh, federal, Energy. Energy Regulatory Commission, you know, there, and lots of very important agencies that have uh, oversight functions, um, National Labor Relations Board. Um, and there are a lot of Trump appointees there holdovers. So Biden has to sort of figure out a way to get his people in there. Um, and uh, we'll see. I mean, you've got the IRS, which is in a fascinating situation right now, because I think the the budget that is, you know, moving through Congress has a lot of New money for the IRS the idea there is to um, to increase enforcement that has been on the decline for ten years you know and it's not just trump it's the role of the Tea Party even before Trump you know had, had really allowed Congress to um, drastically cut the IRS enforcement and enforcement is critical for the president because this is a way to pay for his uh, partly for his infrastructure plans and all of his, you know, efforts to rebuild the government, but you know, the IRS has also been tasked with lots of new, um, you know, new roles right now under under Biden as he expands, you know, government spending, and that's a massive undertaking for the IRS. And are they are they up to it? You know, are, the question is, how does the IRS rebuild in time to be able to kind of catch up to Biden's ambitious, you know, political agenda?
1: Right. And you're you're using uh you use the word wonky, and I have to say, um, you're hitting on all of the issues that are for us at the partnership in our heart space, you know, modernization, morale, vacancies, hiring, inspiring and helping, you know, the next generation to serve. And it is such a vast task, but I feel you know, very connected just hearing you walk through all of these things that you know, what we're doing really matters. And I, I really appreciate that these are the stories uh, that you're covering. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Building on that point a little, Rachel, um, just a couple more questions for you, Lisa. Um, so to build on that, um, we at the partnership are starting to think a lot about how Americans view their government, how what they think of when they hear the word government. Do they perceive it as monolithic? Is the federal bureaucracy the same as the local DMV, is Congress the same as the federal government? And in particular, I think a question that I would love to hear about how you navigate it on your beat is do people distinguish between um, political Washington, the political appointees, and the career civil service? I'm curious about as you're working on all of these stories that have really critical elements of both, how do you think about navigating that distinction and telling stories that kind of uh, make clear that differentiation, right? Well,
2: you know, I mean, in every administration, of course, you know, the, the the bureaucracy, I mean, by definition, has to change course to to enact the vision of whoever you know is in the White House. Um, but I do, I do think, well, the view of you know people who work in government, the the federal bureaucrat, I mean, I think it does change depending on. Where in the country people are, and you know what people's view of government is, but also just how you know each individual taxpayer's interaction with you know with the government agency. I mean, I'm out here right now in uh, in the West uh, for uh, for a little while, and out here, you know, you've got um, many people who feel the government, the government, and it could be it doesn't matter if it's you know. President Biden, it doesn't matter if it's someone at the Department of Health and Human Services who is trying to administer vaccines. You know, the view is that the government is intruding too much in their lives. And and this is something that right now we're seeing, obviously, with the by, uh, President Biden's vaccine effort. So many people here in, in the West are not really uh, interested in getting vaccines. And it doesn't matter who's trying to who's trying to entice them to get vaccinated. It's just a sort of more blanket view of the government. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't want to deal with the government. And then, you know, there are different ways, of course, that, you know, people interact with the government. They're interacting, you know, let's say with the IRS, with the social security administration, uh, they've struggled in the pandemic to get phones answered, and as you guys know, there's a lot of pressure right now on these more public-facing agencies like the IRS, um, you know, like VA, like um, Social Security to 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 reopen. Now, there's enormous pressure there, uh, but I guess I, I mean, I think people sometimes are able to make a distinction. I certainly do, you know, between a political appointee and a career, um, somebody who's working in a career role, but I think sometimes for readers, it's a little bit lost on them. It's hard for, I mean, unless we really highlight the, the work of, you know, the career government officials, um, I think it's more that I'm writing about policies that are kind of coming down from the top and people, most people who don't work in government to make the distinction between someone who you know is spending their career there and someone who is coming in within a political administration.
1: So then what is it, and this is our, our last question for you that, that you do hope readers will take away from your coverage of the career government workforce?
2: Well, I th- I want readers to take away two things, well, a couple of things. One is just how complex the government is, and how difficult it is to run the government well, because you have such a massive enterprise. You have the largest employer in the country, and it it does government does incredible things. It says pe- sends people to the to the moon. You know, it helps people navigate the national park system. Um, it, it cuts social security checks every month you know most in most cases without fail and you know individual people are all doing that admittedly you know with the help of technology I mean it, it the government helps you know helps veterans it sends checks benefits to veterans it processes benefits for veterans I mean it does it does really amazing amazing things but government also screws up sometimes just by all o- I think just by virtue of the fact that it is so big and it's trying to do so many things at the same time, and there is with an enormous amount of money, and there is waste in government, and there's fraud in government, and there is also oversight as there should be of what what government agencies do. So I write about that because I feel like you know I'm I'm telling people how their taxpayer that their their tax money their money is is being used, but I think I'm trying to convey that their money is being used in many, many different ways. And that, you know, it, 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 the expenditure of their money you know, needs to be held accountable for mistakes. And that's, that's what I'm trying to tell readers. But I'm also trying to tell them how complex the government is, how much what government does is also at the, you know, for better or for worse, depending on your politics, it's also kind of, you know, at the whim of of politicians who have to get reelected and who are beholden to their constituents, so they also guide what what people in government have to do and and how they do their jobs. So it's not they're not always deciding on the policies that they have to carry out, and that's obviously uh, sometimes challenging when you have a career in government. Um, but also, I'm trying to show you know, the, the, the amazing breadth of what government does. I hope I do that.
1: Yeah, as you mentioned earlier that, you know, learning as you go, I feel that that's what you're doing for the readers. You know, we are all learning as you are learning and you're sharing that journey with us and this knowledge, which again, we just so appreciate and really thank you for joining us today. Oh, it was
2: it was so much fun. I love my job. I love my beat. I've never wanted another beat. And uh, I think my challenge is always to choose the stories that are, even if they're complicated, that I'm able to tell simply so that people understand them. So I'm able to cut away at a lot of the uh, as to loop back to how we started the conversation about, uh, you know, try to simplify the those my knowledge of the arcane uh, civil civil service regulations and laws so that, you know, they resonate with with readers, um, because that's the job is to really help readers um, take in what I'm trying to tell them without getting too wonky. <laughs>
0: Well, we are so appreciative that you've joined us and please count us as amongst your your biggest fans. I think Rachel and I were both behind the scenes fangirling out like we get to email or interview Lisa. So again, thank you so much for participating. Um, It's been a great discussion with you. Thank you so much. Rachel, as I was listening to Lisa go through all of her favorite stories that she's written just in the past couple of years, I kept thinking this is the federal beat. It's covering crime, it's covering healthcare, it's covering strategy, management challenges, it's everything. This is not the federal beat, this is the everything beat. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a resonant theme that we've seen in all these podcasts that like when you're talking about the federal government, it is all of the above in terms of the opportunities, but also in terms of the challenges you're going to face.
1: Oh, yeah, it is. It's everything. It's vast. And the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. And then the more you learn on top of that. And I appreciate that that's. Like it is her exploration and she's sharing that and we get to learn it through her because everything she's talking about, it's like,
0: man, that's how I feel working at the partnership. Like I learned something new about government every day. What really shone through for me was her passion for communicating the behind the scenes work that the federal government does. We made that joke at the beginning about the obscure civil service provisions that she's the expert in, but she is the one who takes the lead in deciding that you can tell stories about these obscure regulations and policies, and they matter to you, they matter to the readers, they matter to the American people and all of the, the subscribers at the post. Who are going to be impacted by the work the federal government does, whether in the national parks or at NASA or at NIH or elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and clearly she's reaching people. And when she talked about, you know, when she writes about the VA and then she hears from veterans, you know, this is important to them, it matters. They're they're reading what she's writing about. It's, you know, as she said, from the moon to the parks to your social security checks, there's something here for everybody, whether
0: they realize it or not. She also seemed to grasp something that I I find is, is hard to explain to people, that government is a massive enterprise and it is absolutely tough to reform, no question, but it's still also quite delicate. It's a really incredible tool we're putting in people's hands from administration to administration that... It's their responsibility to take care of in some way that if they the the reforms that somebody pursues or the changes that a president pursues from term to term are going to impact people not only in those four years, but for so many years to come. And I, I can see her grasping that in a way that I think so many people miss when they think about bureaucracy. Bureaucracy is like a stable always their thing, nothing ever changes. But the norms that she highlights in her writing, those are things that shift the way that government operates and impacts people's lives all the time.
1: And when Lisa was talking about, you know, this big bureaucracy, but things do shift and they do change over time, as you said, Lauren, it, I could just hear, you know, from our last episode talking with Mary Joubert and Gail Loveless from General Services Administration, you know, being responsible for something as mammoth as a presidential transition and the day-to-day work they were doing made an impact and actually shifted how those functions and processes were handled going forward. So it, it does show that, yes, change can happen and good change at that.
0: And that it's a recognition both that government is going to screw up. It is a massive enterprise made up of humans who are going to fail at the thing that they do. But at the same time, she has that standard in mind of why it's important to report on these things that they're doing that they're, they're messing up but with the intent of public good, um, whether regardless of whether that was their intent in mind at the time, that this is something that is worth reporting on and worth understanding and improving and uh, holding accountable for because this is something that we are doing in the public's interest in some way. And the the way that she talked about you know growing her beat over time from just federal workers, which is important stories unto itself, to the VA, which she's absolutely right. So few people covered the VA as a beat. Over the years, and there's so many stories to come out of it that have, as she pointed out, uncovered a lot of things that are unfortunate about the VA's history and its ability to to um, serve veterans, but have improved radically with the kind of transparency and sunshine that she and other reporters like her applied.
1: Yeah, and even just the VA on its own touches almost every topic that she mentioned. That the whole government topic, it, you know, uh, the whole government tackles in just one agency. It's it's immense. She seems to have
0: a dispassionate and compassionate relationship with the federal government, that she cares about these issues deeply. She is not taking a side, but more taking the side of the American people that we are we are owed good government. And I am going to tell you the stories that you should know about it. Um, I felt so lucky that she was one of the storytellers part of uh, this narrative and that the federal government has somebody like her to elevate a lot of the times when they fail, but also the times when they are taking the opportunity to rethink and uh, reapproach. And I
1: think she even said at the end, like, I don't want to do something different. Yeah. She's just so into it. And I mean, I feel like it's our job as well. Like, we got to be into it to be doing this, right? <laughs> like still trying to explain to family at Thanksgiving, you know, what it is we do for a living and you just got to be that into it.
0: Well, I I feel so, as I said, I feel so lucky to have Lisa on this beat, and I'm thrilled that she wants to continue to pursue these incredible stories, um, often in in parallel to much of the work that we do at the partnership um, and some of the stories we're telling here. So um, it's been a great episode. I'm so glad we got to have her join. Yeah, me as well. Thanks, Lauren. And that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. Be the first to hear new episodes of Profiles in Public Service by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts.
1: Profiles in Public Service was created by the Partnership for Public Service. Our researcher and writer is Emma Jones. Our script supervisor is Barry Goldberg. And our executive producer is Jordan LaPierre.
0: Profiles in Public Service is produced by District Productive. I'm Lauren DeYoung-Shulman. And I'm Rachel Klein-Kircher. See you next time.